You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. The message today is simply, life is hard, God is good. I was doing a graduation speech a few weeks ago, virtually, of course, recording it for an online graduation for a university here in our state. And as weird as all of that sounded back then, it kind of feels a little bit normal now. A shout out, by the way, to all the graduates, high school, college, whoever you are, congratulations to you. You might not have walked across a stage this weekend or next weekend or the one after that, but you have accomplished something amazing. And we applaud you, we celebrate you, and we believe in you. I was saying in this online graduation uh, speech that uh, no one had enrolled in the class Global Pandemic 101. But everybody has now got that on their transcript. And honestly, as horrible as it is, and as much as none of us would have chosen that for our lives, probably the class Global Pandemic 101 has shown us more about what we need to know for the rest of our lives, maybe than any other course that we've taken in high school or in college. So if you're graduating, you're graduating with an amazing uh, step forward, your amazing degree, you've been prepared and trained for the field that you want to pursue, but you've also learned something massive in these days. And what I said to them in this speech was that one of the things that you learned in Global Pandemic 101 is that nothing in life is for sure. And I kind of backed up a little bit in my mind on that. And I thought, well, there are actually some things in life that are for sure, some things that I can guarantee you today. And two of those things are these. Life is hard. God is good. You know, that could pretty quickly today turn into a little post-it note. And I think sometimes we want to shrink our faith down into those little quips and quotes. And I remember there was a season where when you would come to church, somebody would say, God is good. And somebody else from the back would say all the time. And somebody would say all the time, God is good. And those statements, by the way, are 1000% true. But it can turn into like a ritual or just something that we do by rote that hasn't really like seeped down into the marrow of our hearts. And this particular series that we're in, The Glory and the Grind, we're trying to get beneath the surface. We started this series by saying, maybe we need to turn the page, the page from, am I going to make it through these days? Turn that page to a new question, which is, what are these days going to make me? Uh, From our DC room of Passion City Church, Ben was talking about is it possible that in the cave where there's despair and hardship that God's actually fashioning a king in that environment? And could he be doing that in your life right now, that in the grind, that God could be working gloriously to make you into someone far greater than you ever dreamed you could be? And as we're coming to the close of this glory in the grind, what we definitely don't want to do is put a a post-it note on the end of it. Life is hard. God is good. Let's just write it on a little sticky note and put it on the refrigerator. We actually want to understand that there is staying power in understanding those two truths. 
And knowing that those are guarantees in life, no one needs to preach a message or a series on the fact that life is hard. There will never be a message that people are asking for to say, could you show me like uh, some ways that you can really make me believe that life is hard? No, everybody already knows that is one of the guarantees living on a broken, sinful planet. But the God is good side, that's the side we keep coming around, that God wants to keep orbiting us around and he wants us to keep steeping in that, if you will, so it does get down inside of us. And I believe it's way more than just a simple little phrase. I believe it actually could put the kind of ballast in our boat that allows us to survive all the way until the end of our journey on planet Earth. And I know that by looking at one of our heroes of the faith. The Apostle Paul led the New Testament church. If you ask anybody who's a believer, they would say, yeah, Paul, that's my guy. He is responsible by the Spirit of God for writing much of the New Testament. He was a major shaper of the New Testament church, the first one who took the story of resurrection out into the known world after Jesus ascended back into heaven. He's a legend in our faith. But Paul somehow was able to make it to the finish line of the life is hard, being motivated and fueled, I think, by God is good. And I want to look at his story today because I think in his story, there are ways for you to import the same thought into your story so that you can navigate in the same way with the confidence that no matter what you're in right now, God is good. I don't have to convince you life is hard, but the spirit wants to help reinforce in you today that your God is good. I want you to notice coming to the end of Paul's life, we see what we've already seen in scripture. In fact, if you'll notice today, we're all here in worship. Uh, we, we were like on fire here at church. And I think you can feel that same spirit wherever you're joining in from today. And we're celebrating that there is a Mount Everest of victory in our story. There, there is a, a height of victory in our story that cannot be surpassed. And it informs everything else in our story. But when we open up this holy scripture, every page, every character, every story is a story of endurance. Every story, every single one, including the story of Jesus, is a story of an endurance enduring spirit on a broken planet until the final realization of what God has promised to each one of us who put our faith and trust in him. And we see that come into focus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, reading about the end of Paul's life. Now, Paul is already backed up. And in the context of this, has been encouraging his son in the faith. So if you don't know much about this letter, it's most likely the very last letter that Paul wrote. And we're down now to the last chapter of the last letter that Paul wrote. In fact, there are just a few verses left that we're going to get from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to his son in the faith, this young man that he believed in, raised up, brought to faith chose basically to lead forward the cause after his departure. And now one more time, he's writing a letter to him from a Roman prison to encourage him and what it's going to take for him to live out life is hard 
God is good. He's told him, Timothy, at the end of chapter three, follow my example, follow my teaching, and stay tethered to the holy scriptures of God. Don't let anything or anybody cause you to waver from my example, from my teaching, from the holy scripture. He comes into chapter four and he tells them, hey, you're going to need to keep your head. Hey, you're going to press on through the hard times. Timothy, I want you to always keep sharing the gospel and I want you to fulfill the calling that God has put on your life. And then Paul shifts gears and he says, here's the reality for me. My plane is leaving soon. Check out the text with me if you're there. Second Timothy chapter four. And I'm gonna jump in in verse six. It says, for I'm already, this is Paul speaking, being poured out like a drink offering for the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So last chapter, almost down to the last verses of a hero and a legend of our story who is responsible in many ways for God shaping you and me into the people we become as followers of Jesus. He says, at the end of the day, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I kept the faith. Do you know what is consistent in all of those ideas? Hardship. You think it was easy to fight the good fight? You think there were times I wanted to give up on fighting the good fight? Do you think it was easy to finish this race? This wasn't a hundred meter dash. This was a marathon of faithfulness, of following God. And I finished my race. I, I didn't try to run somebody else's race. I finished my race and I kept the faith. There was all kind of pressure, everything you can imagine coming against that gospel. But I kept the faith. In other words, hardship. And if you detail Paul's life, oh my goodness, the hardship that he went through to be able to make these three statements in the last sentences that he's writing that we have recorded from his life. But the reason why Paul, I believe, was able to endure the hardship and fight that fight, to endure the hardship and finish that race, to endure the hardship and keep that faith, it's because he was able to zoom out and see something greater for his life. I don't know if you are over Zoom right now, but I know we're all over Zoomed. If you haven't had the joy of being on Zoom, uh, wow, I don't know how to encourage you today, but we instantly now can open our computer screens or our phones and we can join in with people in our own city, across town, in some cases across the nation. And very easily we can join with people around the world and we can all just Zoom here, Zoom there, Zoom there, and we're all in together just by Zooming. And I think a lot of us are having Zoom fatigue at the moment, but Paul was able to Zoom. And we see all through his life that he was able to see into eternity. He was able to understand what was on the other side of this journey. He was able to Zoom from wherever he was, whether it was Ephesus or Philippi, or he was in Jerusalem or in a prison, He could zoom out all the way out to the end of his journey and understand what was waiting for him 
at the end of the fight, at the end of the race, at the end of keeping the faith. And he describes that in the next verse. He says, now, now, so departure is near. My flight's leaving. I'm out of here on the 315. I can sense that my breath and my days are drawing to a close. But now, now, he says, there's something great on the horizon. There is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And here is an amazing addition, not just Paul we're talking about, but he reaches for you today and he reaches for me today and he pulls you and me into the story. He says, and not just for me, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Not, not those who say, yeah, I think somewhere in my theology that Jesus is coming or somewhere in my belief system, I'm going to go to heaven and somewhere in my you know, spiritual arithmetic, I'm going to arrive at the pearly gates and definitely see Peter there, hopefully get in and maybe one day see Jesus. He says, no, this promise is for people who are not just sort of quasi believing in the appearance of Jesus. They're actually longing for it. They're banking on it. They're looking for it. They're in a world that they know one of the things you can count on, one of the guarantees in this world is hardship. But you know what? I'm longing for something more and I'm longing for somebody more. And I know on the other end of this life, whatever I have to go through, I know what's on the other side. I have zoomed out to the other side. And when you zoom out like that, like Paul, you can zoom back into anywhere. Just find Paul anywhere in the story. Find him having dinner with friends. Find him shipwrecked on the sea. Find him in prison for the gospel. Find him on the top of a hill proclaiming the story of Jesus. Wherever you find him, you sense that he had zoomed out somewhere and then zoomed back in, zoomed into the life as hard with the confidence that God is good. And I think he did that for a couple of reasons. And I think we can learn from Paul today a few things that will help you and I live in the same stickiness, if you will, of life is hard, God is good. Not sticky note-ness of it, but the real sticky substance of it, the grit, if you will, that gives us confidence in the grind of a hard world to know that God is actually doing something glorious in our lives. I think one of the things that was true of Paul that helped him in this process and must be true of me and true of you is that for him, Christianity was personal. And just say that one more time. For, for Paul, it was personal. It wasn't, I grew up in a Christian home. It wasn't, I grew up in a Christian nation. It wasn't um, my aunt, my grandmother, my, my father. Uh, they were all in this denomination or that denomination. And I've always believed this. And I've always been raised around the scripture. And this has just been part of my makeup. That wasn't the way Paul got to Jesus. When Paul got to Jesus, it was personal. When you go and see the story, Acts chapter 9, verse 4, Paul on his way hating Christians and hating the story of the resurrection meets Jesus on the way. And when he meets him, Jesus talks to him 
in red letters in the middle of Acts chapter 9. And he doesn't say, hey, you. No, he calls him by his name. Paul also was known as Saul. And so he addresses him, Saul, Saul, two times. Not, hey, buddy, not yo, but Saul. Whoa, somebody's calling my name. Saul, again, somebody knows my name. And what does Jesus say? He asks him a question. He says, why are you persecuting not a set of beliefs, not a set of doctrine, not a set of teaching? Why are you, Saul, persecuting me? Do you realize how personal that got in about that fast? I know who you are. I know everything about you. I know your name. And the person that you're against right now, it's not doctrine. It's not theology. It's not a story of resurrection. You're persecuting me. And instantly for Paul, in his very first encounter with Jesus, it's personal. Therefore, as Paul moves through life, it stays personal. It never fully becomes professional. It always is rooted in personal, so that when we're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, I love the way Paul is talking here because he's just saying, I love Jesus and he is my heart and soul. He says, but whatever was for me profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything is lost, listen to this, compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In the journey, it's still personal. In the journey, it's not about just some set of beliefs. In the journey where life is hard, but God is good, how did Paul make it to the end? Because he knew Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus. And as he pursued that relationship with him, he began to discover layer by layer by layer just how good Jesus was. I wonder for you, is it personal? Or is it familial? Or is it comfortable? Or is it social? Or for you, is Jesus personal? Was there a moment that you know he called your name? And was there a moment that you knew that you just didn't make a mistake in life, but that you actually had sinned against him, against holy God? And all of a sudden, this big landscape of church became personal in a relationship with Jesus. The world now knows that one of the legends of our faith, Ravi Zacharias, is coming close to his time of departure. And I have so much respect for the way God has used Ravi over three decades in my life. I remember the first set of cassette tapes I had of his when I was living in Texas, leading a little fledgling campus Bible study at a university there and how he was shaping my thinking and shaping my mind and watching him from a distance and respecting the way that he led people to Jesus, but by the grace of God, somehow in the last chapter of life, I've actually gotten to become Ravi's friend. And so now as he's coming to this time of departure, for me, it's not just a pillar of our faith. It's not just a legend in the modern church. It's not just a voice that we all have benefited from so much. It's actually someone I know. It's 
personal and it changes when it's personal. Life is hard, but God is good. But the only way you're going to really know that and get the benefit of that is if it's personal between you and Jesus. I think the second thing that was true in Paul's life that has to be true in our lives is that Paul had a grace awakening to the true nature of the gospel. In other words, when that encounter happened, Saul, Saul, you're persecuting me. What, what was the outcome of that? Well, Paul, Saul had an awakening to the grace of God. So much so that he wrote to all of us in Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one, sort of like a summation or distillation of what it means to be in relationship with God. Here's a guy when he meets Jesus who has a PhD in religion. I mean, in the religion of his day, nobody higher in the standing. But now all of a sudden he meets Jesus and he's getting a crash course in grace. And it's completely different. So he says in Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then listen to how he unpacks this for you and me. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. See how the goodness and the heart are sort of coming closer together now? Why are we rejoicing in our sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now, you say, well, that's, that's it. That's the story, right? No, there's even more than that. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more, how much more, that's amazing, but there's even a how much more on the other side of God's grace. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. What a powerful distillation of the difference between trying to do enough to measure up to God and having Jesus do it all so that we could step into this amazing grace in which we now stand. And I believe that is underneath the fact that Paul knew I am going to go through hardship. But in every step of the way, I'm never going to lose confidence. In fact, I'm going to gain confidence knowing that life is hard, 
God is good. I think the third thing that was true of his life is that he had a new calling on his life. Paul didn't just get saved. He didn't just, you know, punch his ticket into heaven. He got a new calling on his life. Same chapter nine of Acts. As soon as this encounter happens, a process unfolds in which now we see that Paul's going to play a key role in spreading the gospel of Jesus to the world. Just like God is speaking that over your life today, God isn't just wanting to get you into heaven. He's wanting to get you to himself. And he's not just wanting to get you to himself so you can enjoy each other. He wants to call you into his plan and give you a purpose and give you an assignment to take his name to more people on planet earth. And now Paul has a calling on his life. And do you know what that calling does for him? That calling is so great. It eclipses earthly gain and it eclipses earthly pain. So he says in that passage we were reading in Philippians chapter three, everything I had before, I consider it rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He really uses the word manure. He says, everything I had before, everything I thought was great, all the riches that promised me that that's where good was, all the pleasure of sin that said the payoff of that path is good, all of my own desires and choices that convinced me if I did it my way, that's what would be good, all that stuff, all the standing, all the position, all the recognition that I had, all of that is rubbish compared to the prize of knowing Jesus. And the same with the pain. If you zoom back from Paul's view of what's to come and you zoom into the letter that he writes to the church at Ephesus and you zoom into chapter six, he's talking about this armor of God and how you and I can be covered from head to foot in the protection of who we are in Christ. And then listen to what he says in the very next sentence. Pray also for me, this is Ephesians six, that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Check this line out. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Hey, put on the full armor of God. By the way, I'm writing this right now with a chain on my wrist as a prisoner for the gospel of Jesus. Main focus today, though, encouraging you. Main focus today, building you up. Main focus today, peeling back some more layers of revelation sight so that you can see how good your God is and what he has done to transform your life in Christ. Oh, and by the way, just at the very end here, right before I wrap up, right before I sign off, right before we get off this little Instagram chat, could I just say, could you pray for me too? And what would we want to pray? Hey, could you also pray for me in Jesus' name that he'll bust me out of this place? Could you pray for me in Jesus' name that he'll smoke the guards? Could you pray for me in Jesus' name that somehow he'll just annihilate this prison that I'm in and set me free again? Can you pray for me that I can get out of the hardship? He said, no, pray for me that I'll have a spirit of boldness to speak fearlessly the gospel while I'm in these chains so that everybody who's chained in here with me can hear the story of the grace of Almighty God. Because this calling on my life can't eclipse the gain of this world and it can't eclipse the pain of this world. I got a mission to fulfill to a savior who called me by name. And I want you to pray for me today that I'll do that in this very moment.
life is hard. God is good. I think a fourth thing true of Paul is that Paul understood, but not as much as you understand. This is crazy to me today that we're about to talk about the fact that you and I have some understanding now looking at Paul's life. Paul had a sight of heaven. So he, he had unbelievable revelation. He, his zoom out was powerful and amazing. But we have history today to zoom out into. And when we zoom back, this is what we see, the fourth thing true about him, that what may look like our ordinary actions could be being used by God to write an extraordinary eternal story. And like, what does that mean, Louis? What are you talking about? I'm talking about when we let God work on our heart. And man, these days have done that, right? First it was, are we going to make it through? And then it was like an onion, the, the layer started getting peeled back and it was like, whoa, our, our marriage is not as strong as we thought it was. My attitude is not as good as I thought it was. My uh, patience uh, isn't what I always thought it was. I don't know if even my mental makeup right now is as good as I thought it was. And we start realizing we're in need, maybe more than we've ever realized in our lives. And coming into that moment, I just want you to know in the grind, in the day-to-day, in what looks unseen and what looks ordinary and what looks like it could never really matter in eternity, your faithfulness in that moment to say, I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to keep running my race, even right here in this hardship. I'm going to keep believing and keep clinging to the faith. Even in this hardship, you have no way of knowing how God is using that in his eternal story. But I guarantee you, He's good and a good God always redeems the pain and the sorrow of our lives into his eternal story. You're like, well, you know, how do you know that? What what do you mean when you say that? I mean that there's no way that Paul could have known when he's coming down to the end and he's writing what's going to turn out to be most likely, as far as we know, his very last letter to his son in the faith down to the last few verses And then he's sending it off by courier. Can you get this to Timothy for me? Telling Timothy, if you get a chance, please come and visit. Paul has no way of knowing that the words that he's writing are going to be used by the Spirit of God to become this holy scripture that he talks about a few paragraphs above. That his words, this letter, this what looks ordinary, this I'm in a a hole in a Roman prison called the Mamertine prison. I'm, I'm in Mamertine where Nero has basically put a death sentence on my life. I'm writing a letter to my son in the faith, but somehow even in what looks insignificant and invisible possibly to the world, who even knows I'm down in this hole in the ground and God is saying, I know you're down in there and nothing is ordinary in my economy and I'm going to take this letter you're writing to your son in the faith and I'm going to encourage Louis Giglio in his journey and I'm going to encourage every one of these people in their journey. I'm going to encourage every young minister and every young believer and every follower of Jesus by what you're putting on this paper today. So your example and your teachings and your faithfulness and your understanding of departure and your being able to zoom out and zoom in, I'm about to write it into the eternal, extraordinary story of a great and glorious God. That's how Paul could come back and write in Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though our outward Man is wasting away inwardly. We are being renewed day by day for our light 
and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I believe I have a good God, even in hard times. And I believe he uses ordinary things in extraordinary ways in his eternal story. And then just to close, I know something else was true of Paul. And I believe that something else is probably the most powerful something that allowed Paul to get to this point in his life and still be faithful. And it was this, Paul was convinced that at the end of that race and the end of that fight and the end of keeping the faith, he was going to see Jesus face to face. He said, now there is stored up for me something, remember verse eight, and someone. The something is a crown of righteousness. And that's amazing. I've had my eye on that and I've encouraged you to run your race in a way that you also would receive a crown. There is a something waiting for me at the end of the story. But more than anything else, there's a someone waiting for me at the end of the story. He said, there's a crown of righteousness and there is the righteous judge. And he is going to award this to me. He will award it to me and also to all who love what? Who love the crown of righteousness? No, who love his appearing. To all those who are motivated today to keep running, to keep believing, to keep trusting, to keep grinding, if you will, because they know at the end of the grind is a person, at the end of the grind is a face, at the end of the grind is the prize that we're all running for. Because I don't know who you are, where you live, what your story is, or what you're walking through today, but I know if you're a fellow follower of Jesus, we've got the same aim. We have got the same goal. We are running for the same prize. We are after the same thing. It is six words and we are all going for them together. Well done, good and faithful servant. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words that Jesus taught when he was telling the story of three people getting different measures of opportunity. And he said, at the end of the day, this is what you want to hear. It doesn't matter if you were given this much hardship or this much opportunity, this big of a platform or this much riches. It doesn't matter what you were handed. It matters what you did with the calling on your life. So that at the end of the day, you return back to your maker and you hear him say to you, the one who stretched out hands and opened out his arms of grace, well done. Yeah, life was hard. You want to see the scars? But look, God is good. Paul was convinced that at the end of the journey, he was going to learn in full what was underscored by the psalmist David when he wrote, I am convinced that I will still see what the goodness 
of God in the land of the living. It's been hard, but I'm still convinced. It hasn't been easy, but I still believe. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I believe that fueled Paul every day of his life. Ravi loves a poem by Richard Baxter. In fact, his team posted it a few days ago on his behalf, I think, just a verse of it. The whole poem is stunning, but the last verse said, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. Life's hard. You don't need a sermon for that. But do you know that there is a God who knows you personally? There is a God who is speaking grace over your life today, who is offering you forgiveness and mercy and saving you from the wrath of God. Did you know that that God has a purpose for you and he's calling you in today? Did you know that even little ordinary things that seemingly are unnoticed can be written into a grand story of God? And did you know that you are one step closer right now than you were before of being face to face with your maker? You are one step closer today than you were yesterday of being one step closer to seeing Jesus face to face. Do you know him? Have you seen him? Are you beginning to understand him? And are you beginning to see through the little revelation moments as he opens up his word to you in an intimate daily relationship that he is a God you can trust and a God who is good so that you'll know that on that day, he's not going to just meet up to your expectations on that day at the end of the hard race, at the end of the hard fight, at the end of the hard keeping of the faith. He is going to blow our idea of good completely out of the water. And we're going to say, I had no idea because I hasn't seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever even entered into the mind of a man what you have in store for those who love you. You are good on a whole nother level. You are beautiful beyond anything in my wildest dreams or imagination. You have enraptured my soul, my mind, my heart, and my flesh in a way that nothing on planet Earth even came close to. And now my eternity is not a house that you built for me. It is you, the builder of the house. It is not just safety from the fire of hell. It is you, and you are more precious and more beautiful than anything I've ever dreamed of or imagined. Thank you for knowing my name, calling my name, paying for my shame, and inviting me into your story. Even though life is hard, I am operating full speed today on the conviction that my God is good. Do you know him? Do you know him? by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.